a Dad's Net original podcast. Hi, I'm Michael. And I'm Paul. We're the Atwell Brices and this is Disability. The podcast for parents with children who have disabilities. We're the proud dads of two sets of identical twins, Lance and Lawson, our youngest. And Levi and Lucas, our older twins, who are diagnosed with autism and epilepsy, amongst other disabilities. In Disability, we'll be helping you with tips and recommendations. And we'll be speaking to special guests and most of all, you'll hear that you are not alone in your journey. Hi and welcome to Disability. I'm Michael. And I'm Paul. Yeah, so this week, um, it's been a really tough week with the boys. They've been quite poorly. Um, and when the boys are poorly, it's, it's a lot of hard work. So so we have turned into machines this week. <laughs> we are like machines again. Forget being a parent. It feels like we are a machine, a carer. I'm sure other people resonate to this. And that's how it's felt this week. Yeah, so people that are on his Instagram will have seen Paul's constantly up changing the beds. We've had a lot of that. Um, the boys have been, they've had a lot of like diarrhea, uh, nappy leaking, and it's just like running a laundrette sometimes. But It's like Widow Twanky's <laughs> laundrette. I feel like I'm back in Pantoland constantly every day. I feel like I'm a housemaid. But it's all good fun. And here we are, we survive for another day. But we've got some exciting stuff coming up this week because we're going down to London to the uh, fashion show. So the boys are going to be walking, all the four boys are going to be walking the fashion show with Harvey Price. And I'm Uh, very nervous about it because, as we (laughs) all know, children are so unpredictable. God knows what the hell's going to happen, but we just have to go with the flow and do our best. Yeah, so we're going to be walking down with the boys. I think I, I worry more about the babies, the younger two. We call them babies, but they're four now. Yeah, I might let Michael just walk with them. Too. <laughs> <laughs> Put all the pressure on him. Because when they get something in their head that they don't want to do or they want to do, they can be like hard work, really hard work. So I'm just going to suss it out on the day and see who the calmest is, and I'll just take them. I think one of the teachers said, didn't they, the other day, let the boys take a bouncy ball because they love to throw them, and they'll be throwing the bouncy balls into the audience randomly somebody on Ed. <laughs> but at least they'll get people talking <laughs> and remembering the Atwell Bryce boys so that's all good I guess. So yeah it's the boys first time on the on the catwalk so they're launching Harvey Price's new uh, black and gold frog range with Born Anxious which is a autism friendly clothing range and it's a really big thing because to have children with neurodiversity, autism, epilepsy and all that on the catwalk you know walking down the catwalk being proud and and showing this off is what we're all about breaking molds that's exactly what we're about and educating the uneducated i think and talking about topics all the time to make people realize exactly how things might be different to their way of life and how how everybody's unique and diverse and individual and be proud of who you are i think we're really looking forward to meeting harvey though i don't know if any of you have been watching it on tv his programs about him going to the residential college and stuff and it'll, it's kind of like meeting an older version of how the boys will be because they have very dis- like similar disabilities and although harvey's more advanced he's verbal um we're really looking forward to that i'm very much looking forward to meeting katie <laughs> Because I know loads of people have opinions on her, but I think as a mother, I think she's doing a tremendous job with Harvey, despite all the issues she has. But with regards to parenting Harvey, I think she's doing a wonderful job. And I can't wait to meet her and talk to her about all those things. And I can't wait for her to meet our family and our children and see how diverse we are as well. Yeah, I just think if you've not got children with 
uh, disabilities, you know, additional needs. You, you don't know how hard it is. And we know from seeing Katie only on the programs and stuff, but we know she's fought for Harvey all the while, like we have for the boys, you know, you have to fight for everything. So we know she's she's put herself out there and made sure she's got the best for Harvey, which is what it's all about. You know, everybody wants the best for the children. Stay tuned today because we're going to be talking to Debbie Bright, some of you may have known Debbie from TOWIE, but what a lot of people don't actually know is Debbie is a foster carer. She's going to be updating us on her life, what she's up to, and what she's doing currently. And that is a really good interview, so stay tuned for that. So yeah, this week we're going to be talking about um, the boys' education because they're trying to reduce their funding at school because they're going to be turning 16. I can't believe they're going to be 16. Yeah, they're still so our babies. We've had one of um, us followers messaging in the same situation. I think councils across the country are trying to do the same thing. So basically, um, we were always led to believe the boys would stay at school until the 19 full time. And we've just been told that it's going to be reduced to 16 hours or two days, which is fine for mainstream children going to school. Uh, to college because they can get a job at McDonald's or Asda or something on the other days but so it's another fight on yeah. our hands again but we will fight the corner and advocate for what we believe is right I just think what do they want children like Levi and Lucas to do on them over three days you know they can't be stuck to our hip it's not healthy for them I'm um, sticking with you <laughs> I'm made out of glue so this is just another thing and it all comes down to money with the councils like everybody always knows it's always a big fight for children with disabilities getting stuff right but we're, I'm we're, sure the local authority think oh no it's the Atwal Bryce dance. yeah the haters done <laughs> here <that>. they come <laughs> but you know we have to do what's right for the children they, I mean they always end up backing down in the end don't they and giving us what not what we want it's what's best for the kids isn't it I mean what can they do on them they're already at home at the weekend it's just it's just not right what they're doing you know cutting children's hours down to like two days a week they've got to have that independence at school as well do you agree michael i, I just think you know then they'd be at home five days and just at school two days and what good is that to anybody you know we have we have them sometimes sometimes we can be up all night with them with their epilepsy or not sleeping and you know the days is when we get stuff done and i'm sure it's when a lot of other parents get stuff done you know we've got the house to run as normal but then we've got the other things to do and you know we, we all have stuff to do so and time out we'll get no time out yeah you know just to kind of have the house quiet to ourselves to recoup ready to pick them up from school and to be recharged for tea time and all those evening routines it's just not healthy and to be constantly stuck with us it's it's not healthy i think on my mental i think if we're really honest sometimes you know about one o'clock sometimes we just lay down on the sofa and have a sleep because we can be exhausted from being up all night with a boy so loose swimming i want to, to <laughs> watch loose swimming you're gonna every miss, afternoon you're gonna miss out on your afternoon siesta paul how will that affect you i'm more bothered about being able to watch loose swimming <laughs> in the quietness of the home well levi were really loud this morning weren't it so when levi's on one and being really loud it's like a constant humming. i just i just put their ear, ear defenders on <laughs> And I'm quite fine. <laughs> yeah, we end up wearing their e defenders because um, although they're for the boys' sensory needs, they don't actually wear them, but we do make good use out of them. Do any of you parents resonate with this? Have you been through this situation and 
you know, have you won or have you kind of lost the battle? We'd like to hear from you guys as well because together we're a team and we're all in this together. We have heard locally, haven't we, that other councils have tried it and they've had to back down at the end because that many parents were like raising concerns and kicking off about it. And and rightly so, you know, just because they've got disabilities and additional needs, that they need to be stimulated, they need to meet different people, they need to be out there and... So it's going to be even more meetings to attend to <laughs> and sitting in those meetings, listening to professionals talk a load of old nonsense. crap, nonsense, whatever we call it. And we sit there and we listen to them and we think, you don't live in the real world. You really don't know what life is like. And then they just go home and they sit in their quiet home, have a cup of coffee and read The Guardian. <laughs> That's my thoughts on that. <laughs> So this week, um, Diffability, we'd really like to recommend something that we know will benefit a lot of you guys and we came across this quite a few years ago and it's Merlin's Magic Wand. So a lot of you may have heard of Merlin before, They're, uh, they own Alton Towers, Legoland, the they Sea Life Centres. Yeah, they're, they're really big and what a lot of people don't know is uh, children with disabilities, families can apply for a magical day out through them. So you literally go on their website, they're on Instagram, they're on Facebook, Merlin's Magic Wand. Who doesn't want a day out with the kids where you break away from the family home, the Monday day-to-day tasks, yeah. and get you all on a roller coaster, getting thrown upside down, screaming your head off, feeling sick, and thinking, right, now I need a burger. Who doesn't want a day out? <laughs> because I do. And I think it kind of, your mental capacity does you the world of good as a family together as well because you're having fun and you're away yeah. from the whole mundane everyday tasks of dealing with the kids you know and i think home. that's why they do this isn't they? so levi and lucas love roller coasters but if your kids don't there's the sea life centers um but there is alton towers thought park you can apply to any merlin attraction and it's a really easy form to do and also they'll even cover some of the travel expenses if you meet the criteria but foster families, adoptive families, and families with disabilities, also uh, refugee families, I believe. Quite a few meet the criteria, so it's worth a look on their uh, website, definitely. So have a look for that great day out. We totally recommend it. So up next, we're gonna be speaking to the amazing Debbie Bright. Uh, Some of you may recognize her name. She's from TOWIE. Um, Debbie is an amazing foster carer as well. Not everybody will know she's fostered hundreds of children and has dealt with so many different disabilities and additional needs. So it's a fascinating interview, so stay tuned. Welcome to Debbie Bright. Um, Welcome to the Diffability podcast. Now, Debbie, we know you personally because we have met you at lots of different events, i.e. the Fostering Network events, and obviously our connections have crossed quite a few times. Um, But for many years, we feel you would have come across many children with different disabilities, abilities, and special needs. And obviously we want to hear about that from your point of view. But also a lot of our listeners who will be listening to this will not know you as a person and your life and give them a brief insight into your life, the experience and the vast amount of knowledge 
you have. Right, I shall start. So my name is Debbie Bright, everybody. And most people that uh, visually see me in the street will say, oh, you're Lydia's mum from The Only Way is Essex. But little do they know that I'm mum to many. Um, and Lydia is an only, everybody thinks she was an only child. So everyone goes, oh, you <laughs> And that gave me a platform to promote fostering and adoption, which has been an absolute asset for me because before The Only Way is Essex, I had been fostering for quite a number of years. So in total, I've been fostering nearly 30 years. Wow. Uh, I started fostering when Georgia was two, my oldest one, and Lydia was one. Uh, I've got four birth children, but uh, I started fostering when they were both babies uh, for inner city London borough. Um, and uh, I fostered over 200, well, actually, it's 250, 247. I've actually lost count, but uh, over 200 children over the last 30 years. Each category I've done, so I've done babies um, who uh, go on for adoption normally, or they will be uh, reunited with their mother. I've done primary school and secondary school and leaving care. So I've done every category that there is. The only thing that I haven't done in fostering is mother and baby, which I've never done. Um, And I think that's because I know personally myself that I wouldn't be able to uh, do that because I sort of take over quite a lot, as you know. Um, And I think I would be going, no, you don't do it like that. You don't do it. So you, you find out your strengths and your weaknesses as you go through life, as you know. Um, so um, I, I've worked a lot with Bernardo's, with Coram, with lots of different agencies over the country. And I'm very well known for promoting and trying to retain foster carers because it's okay getting foster carers, but it's retaining foster carers that is always a big issue. And I've seen over 30 years, huge changes. Yeah. Huge challenges, and um, and you know, and I've adapted, and I've worked with them, and I carry on educating myself, and I'm still fostering, and at the moment, I'm fostering two babies and a teenager. So you know, within your fostering career, then Debbie, because we want to focus on the disability side, you, mm. you will have fostered a lot of children with additional needs, won't you, and different special yeah. needs? Yeah, yeah, and we know. One of your family members is it is got Down syndrome. Uh, yeah, my my nephew has got Down syndrome and autism. He's diagnosed. Yeah. And, but we also we also know you do a lot for Action for Kids, my AFK. So we want to Down syndrome association. So um, that Lydia and I have used because not just me, her as well, because she's been a foster sibling for over 200 children for the whole of her life the whole of her life has been you know with children coming in and out we both have used our platform massively to promote fostering and adoption how have you found you know the changes over the years with the children with additional needs and disabilities you know the help and support for them children so my main issue to be honest with you guys and i am if you know this the most honest person in the whole world is schools yeah. I mean, I've had meetings at schools and you probably have had hot dinners over the years. And, you know, not every children, 
that not every child, not children, that every child ticks the same box. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're in a system where it's the law for our children to go to school. And a lot of them, you know, that I've had in my care have hated school. And we're not going to learn in a, in a place of anywhere if we don't like going there. So, you know, there's already that, that, that block, you know. And I've always said that, you know, school isn't for everybody. Yeah. You know, there are many other different avenues that we can go down. We can teach our children a lot more than being in a classroom. Most of the children that have had, you know, they've gone through where they've got their, you know, they've been uh, diagnosed with uh, different global learning difficulties, yeah. dyscalculia, you know, I, I can go on and name the things they've been named for. for. They're not going to learn in a classroom setting. So, therefore, you know, I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of these children now, who actually this is the words out of their mouth. They sit and stare out of a window all day long. They don't know what's going on. Yeah. Not a clue what the teacher's talking about. And then we get, mm. because of those issues, then we get the behaviour issues. So then we get exclusions from school. We get yeah. sitting in a room with a piece of paper to fill out because they don't understand what the teacher's saying. You know, why are we putting all these children through this? Yeah. When, in fact, if we found something that we know that they're good at, at an early age, we should be streaming them into doing that because not everybody's going to get GCSEs. If they've got autism but they're high-functioning and yeah. the, cl the class has been disruptive and naughty in school and they get expelled when really they need to be taught a different way. I don't blame the schools. They have their policies, their procedure, their rules, their structure. Most teachers have got 30 children in a classroom, you know, with all different kinds of needs. But yeah. for me, fostering a child I'm not worried about all of those other children I'm worried about the child that I'm fostering and I'm worried about you know watching them deteriorate over the years because school isn't the place that they actually like going to and basically it destroys their personalities it rips out their self-esteem and in the end they actually think that they're good for nothing and for me that's a really hard job because then you know I have to pick up all the pieces because obviously they're going to be angry when they walk into this yeah. house and then all of the anger and the disruption spills out into this house and it's a rippling effect on the whole family fortunately for me because I'm a foster carer I have got that ability to call in social services and and you know and and because I'm a very outspoken person, I normally do get what I want. But the problem is, if you talk about the adoption line, these children then go into adoption, and once they're adopted, they can't pull in all of those services because they're adopted then, they're not a looked-after child. And when you're a looked-after child, you're pro you prioritise quite a lot within the system. So... I'm not saying I get everything I want because, you know, I don't, but I do know resources I can put in. So if they're at secondary school, I do know that I can get two or three days at a farm, you know, that I can pull them out of that school because they're not going to get a GCSE and I can yeah. be fighting and I do fight to get them onto a farm for two or three days a week, which they absolutely love, you know, if I think of a child in my care at the moment. And they're probably learning a lot more about everything yeah. Yeah. than they would sitting in a classroom looking out of a window. So, you know, thinking of the children that you've had with additional needs and stuff over the years, Debbie, 
Um, all the experience that you've got with that, what's been the most rewarding and inspiring moments for you out of like them type of children? Well, one would be, actually that would be the first one that comes to my mind about this child that I actually got on a farm because uh, he went from being like, I think, 25 stone he was because all he was doing was eating because where he was so unhappy he just was eating and eating it and the problem is is when you get into secondary school you lose that control over knowing what they're doing um and he started working on this farm three days a week and like literally without you know me keep going on about just don't eat that, you know, don't, no, look, let's try and, let's try and have more smaller portion sizes. I mean, I'm talking about years of like diet nurses coming into the house, going to uh, um, clinics for obesity, you know, all of that, you know, there was a big, a big pool of people trying to work with him. Like, it wasn't me, like maybe 10 people were yeah. trying to work. And I got him onto that farm and within, I'd say, a year, 18 months, he went from 24 stone to 17 stone. His self-esteem, just like you could see his whole body language. He could look you in the eye when he was talking to you. Yeah. And every morning without me screaming and arguing and trying to get him up to get to school, he'd be up, dressed, ready for the farm. That's the first thing. So I was but that, 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 that is massive, though, because we know, like, we local authorities are different here to get an alternative provision, something different like that. But you knew that that would work, so you yeah. fought for that, yeah. Fought for that. And, you know, for me to see a massive, huge change, for, we'd been trying, and I'm not exaggerating, for 10 years and nothing at all worked to actually changing the environment. It wasn't nothing to do with anything else. It was the environment, changing the yeah. environment. And by changing the environment, it made a huge, massive difference to his life. Which and in turn make, makes him healthier, doesn't it? And takes the strain off the NHS for all the other services just by <laughs> something so simple that, like that, yeah. Professionals working with him, you know, you had... His teacher, his senko, a health profession, his social worker, a, thera a, a, a therapist. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's just five that I can think of. So actually, it was nothing to do with anything. It was changing his environment. So the money that they were spending on, you know, putting in therapy and uh, um, dietitians and, you know, was absolutely pointless yeah. because he was in an environment that he couldn't flourish. You know, you've got to think of it as a flower, haven't you, really? <laughs> if you take a flower out of the sun and don't water it, it's going to die. You know, we all need to be nourished, but there's a, you know, you have to look how you can be nourished. And sometimes, you know, with for me as well, for me, when there's too many professionals all involved with all their different opinions... It's suffocating. I often find, I don't know about you, and I, I know a lot of parents feel the same, and I think they kind of get in touch with us about this because we're so open about it. When you have a child with additional needs or disabilities and so many professionals are in and out of the house, I always find that the majority of these professionals are textbook Teresa's. 
they don't live in the real world and when we say this is what we want to happen because and i hate to say this because i don't think we are experts but we know these children better than anybody else better than any consultants better than any speech language better than any ot physio that sees them for an hour because yes. they've got an annual review or exactly. all of those things and they give their ideas and i think your ideas are just so unrealistic and they actually mean nothing to this child would you agree with that absolutely absolutely <laughs> and that's why i think whoever is adopted or whoever is fostering you know whether it be short term or long term keep child centered focused so you know you can be pulled in with thinking that you don't know what's best for this child because you know they might not see you as a professional yeah. you know i always think that i am a professional because i've been doing this a lot longer than than you have but there'd be many foster carers and adopters that think oh god no you know they're the professional you yeah. know the best yeah you live with them 24 7 you know you get them up in the morning you you know you have dinner with them you know you sit on the settee and have a chat with them all those little small bits that you can fit into a puzzle you know them the best and for people that come in for half an hour at a time or an hour at a time they get yeah. snippets tiny little snippets of information or they read a report before the appointment you know like this before they get there <laughs> You know, so true. you've got to fight for that child. Let me tell you, it was not easy doing what I just told you that I done. It was no. not. It's expensive, you know, to put them. But like what you just said, if they sat down, well, well actually, that's three days a week. That's it. And how much are we spending on resources trying to send them in? Because um, this this boy in particular I'm talking about went for a child, uh, went to school for uh, autism and, and uh, communication issues. Um realistically you know is it expensive no because you're spending so much more on resources but i had to justify that and you do continuously have to justify for that child have to you have to have evidence you have to have evidential information you yeah. have to collate it a lot of it yourself but it takes one significant person in that child's life to make a difference you know if a parent came up to you and said I have this child who has disabilities and special needs. What advice would you give to that parent? Never give up. So never give up. Keep fighting. I think it's very important. I think the best advice I probably could give you is keep involved in your local community. So the resources will be there, but once you open yourself up to it, so don't isolate yourself. That's the worst thing you can do. There's yeah. been plenty of time I've been out and I've been, oh, God, don't kick off again. For Christ's sake, don't kick off. You know, I, I, and that I, I, you must have had that millions of times, you know, and you stand, oh, God, they're going to kick off, you know. Yeah. Over the years, I've got to say, well, it doesn't affect me. It doesn't affect me. They kick off, they kick off. But if you're involved in your local community, which I really am, I've got a massive uh, amount of support. They know all the issues. They know you. I'll give you some example. A friend of mine that lives opposite my daughter, he's got a huge allotment, like he's got three. And he says, oh, well, you know, come down. I can work on the allotment on a Saturday. We did isolate ourselves with boys because when they were younger and they were just getting diagnosed with autism, 
we would take them out and they'd be screaming and people would be staring and pointing and passing comments and then we'd get that as well. Where's the mum and the being naughty and this sort of a... And we ended up staying in house for quite a while because it, it did affect us, didn't it? Society can be so cruel and... But we're yeah. mad that we did that now, aren't we? we yeah. They can also be wonderful. So yeah. if, if you do involve yourself in the community and they know you as a person, you will get offered loads of help. But keep my biggest bit of advice for any child with any disability, whether it be Down syndrome, autism, uh, even, you know, children that are, you know, painfully shy, get to know your community. And all of a sudden you'll hear people go, why don't you take them to there? Well, that's a really good playground or or so-and-so will be able to help you out. So although they can be really cool, yes. You know, I've, I've had many an argument in a playground because I'm not one to just stand there and take it, but they can also be wonderful. So, you know, don't don't isolate yourself and make sure that you contribute to the community because by you doing that, you know, this rippling effect of love and sharing and acceptance and all of those things pours out. Yeah. And um, one of the questions we've got is, with regards to we, um programs like Love Island and all reality TV programs that are on because obviously they're they're massive at the moment. Do you think these TV programs should be having more people with disabilities on, i.e. hidden disabilities, all those kind of things, to be able to show the world that you can still achieve what you want to do? Well, this is a really honest answer for me because, as you know, the only way that it was the first reality show to ever be released on telly. So, going back that amount of years, yeah, no one really knew what we were doing, to be honest. So they'd have a film crew in, and you think, oh, no, and they'd go. It was just normal reality. So when you think of the early days of Terry, it was true. So yes, Lydia was rowing with James. I am Lydia's mum. James did cheat on Lydia. You know, all of those are true. All, everybody's life was true. So when you was watching it, it, it's true. Yeah. But what happened with reality TV, because it, it did become massive. I mean, Towie won a BAFTA, the first reality programme ever to, well, there's, ne- there's never been one since, but it won a BAFTA. You know, that was one of the reasons that I left Towie, because I just thought the public must watch these things and know that they're not, it's not real. Do you know what I mean? You can yeah. tell in somebody's eyes if it's true or not. I always say that. I look in people's eyes. So now if you did get a, a person with special needs or, you know, a hidden uh, need, I don't think it would be real. I think it'd be set up. It'd be a set up scenario. Do you know what I mean? And I think it would be putting them in a position that they wouldn't know they'd be putting in just yeah. because it's yeah. Let's put a teenager or, you know... Somebody in a wheelchair in just to tick a box. But realistically, I wouldn't want to put that on anyone. If there was somebody in the early days, when originally, when there was no other reality shows but The Only Way is Essex, there was somebody on there with a disability, it would have been true. It would have been real, you know? And I, I, you know, really, realistically... Spencer, my nephew, would have been a baby then. Like he would have been, because he's 11 now, so he would have been, I would have loved to bring Spencer on. And I think if I think back, looking back 
years ago. I'm sure I did mention it at one point, but we did actually know. Yeah, I did mention it. I can remember now. So going back now, yeah, I said, oh, can we bring Spencer and that? And they said, oh, it wouldn't because he's a baby and everything, but they would do something about Down syndrome. And I wore a Down syndrome T-shirt, which said, uh, it's only one chromosome. It's a red T-shirt. So if you Google it, you'll see yeah. it. It's in a red T-shirt that says it's only one chromosome. And that's when Spencer was born. And I right. don't have Down syndrome. But it's real. I did have a nephew. And he yeah. was Down syndrome. But I feel now, because reality shows aren't really reality shows, it would be just ticking a box. Yeah. yeah. It's all set up, yeah. You know? But some, something like that, you're wearing that T-shirt on a programme like that, opens, yeah. it's a massive thing for charities and raising awareness, isn't it, Debbie? Yeah. You know? I think afterwards, the Down Syndrome Association messaged me. They sent me a lovely email saying, thank you so much. Like, it's really, really big. But it, there was nothing set up about it, guys. Like, I had just had a nephew, yeah. my, my brother's only and his first child, yeah. and it's Down syndrome. So there was, it was true. It was real. It's the reality. I always say to Michael, I say, I would say the program I would love us to do is instead of wife swap, almost family swap. Because <laughs> I would just love somebody who lives in a huge house, has where the, the dad works full time as a CEO of this huge company, the mum does bits of work and the children are looked after by nannies. And then I would love it where the dad swaps places with one of us two in our house to show <laughs> how different it is to really parent children yeah. who are in foster care, children who have got disabilities, and also to very young, mainstream, very active children because as a parent, you constantly want the best for your children. People that haven't got these type of children don't realise what a fight it is, yeah. how much you have to fight for the equipment, the right medications. You know, we've done it since right from getting the boys and stuff like I'm saying, they can only have this wheelchair because it's the cheapest and all this, Debbie, you know. You know, I'm at the stage of my life, guys, where all the children that I fostered when they were younger are in their 20s now. So they can come back to me and tell me what a difference I made. And all those sleepless nights, like what you said, there be there was many, many a night I went to bed crying, thinking, oh, my God, have I done the right thing? Because also as a foster carer, and there'd be many, many foster carers that would be like, you know, thinking, oh, God, you know, I know. You beat yourself up because you think, are you damaging your birth children? Because children with such challenging behaviours, yeah. as you know, the ones that scream the loudest are the ones that actually get the attention. You know, the ones that sit quietly will not be getting the attention. The ones that are being absolutely kicking off will be getting the attention, not only at home, but in a classroom as well. You'd go to bed and you'd think, am I damaging my own children because have I got enough time, you know? Have I got, you know, six or seven children I've had most of my life. Have I got enough time to give them all that individual attention? But the proof's in the pudding, isn't it, guys? Because now my children are older, you know, 31, 30, 22 and 18. All of my foster children that are younger are in there. 28, 27, 26. No, they can come back and tell me, do you know what? Yes. Yeah. We are a family. There was rows and arguments and 
but getting getting thrown across the table and Robinson orange juice going like in my spaghetti bolognese. Yes, we had all of those things, but you know they've all had wonderful childhoods. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters to me that they can say I had the best childhood ever. Debbie, we'd just like to say thank you so much for joining. It's been a pleasure to have you on again. And we look forward to coming around for tea one evening, Debbie. Oh, please. I'm darling, my door will always be open. It could be a glass of wine, but... Oh, phew. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Debbie, for joining us on the Differability Podcast. Both are incredible, too. So, big kisses and love to everybody. Lots of love. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, so thanks so much for tuning in and listening to us. That's all we have time for this week on the Diffability Podcast. But don't forget to rate and review us online. You know, give us honest feedback. We're here to help you guys. Yeah, please rate yeah. us. We want those really nice positive rates. Everybody does. Let's be real. And don't forget to follow us on our social media, uh, the Atwell Bryce family, and also check out for other parenting advice, the Dad's Net. <laughs>